Hello everyone and welcome to the Ranking of the Stars, a podcast in which I, Jack Diloboblik, and my lovely, luscious, Lincoln Log wife, <laughs> I am Emmeline Diloboblik, watch in chronological order every single movie that has won the Oscar for Best Picture and rank them according to however we feel at the time. Today's movie is... It happened one night. It happened one night. Not one day, one night. One night. Get it straight. Don't make me <laughs> don't make me kick you off this couch. <laughs> and to start with, like I just by the title, I thought this was going to be a murder mystery. I was rooting for it to be a, a murder mystery. Yeah, and, I would have uh, been down for a good old fashioned who done it. Yeah. Yeah, because then I thought uh, we were talking about that uh, off mic yeah, together. Like it would have been nice to, yeah, have a who done it and uh, maybe and you know get to talk uh, at the end about who each of us thought did it. But yeah, take this a, is not a murder mystery. Nope, take a break from all this royalty funerals and world wars for just a nice simple murder plot. But nope. Uh, the majority of this movie takes place on a bus. Yes. And this <laughs> That's, is a... I, it's what we got. I would call it a romantic comedy? Sure. <laughs> a quasi-road trip movie? Quasi-road trip movie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, very small scale, so we did get kind of a break. Yes. From the usual stuff. Yeah, nice to get a break from war. Yes. To trade a war of bullets in for a war of emotion. Yes. Let's start with the poster. Let's do it. This I is, really like this poster. Really? This is my first time seeing it, and I am unimpressed. It's just another... It's just another poster of the, the actors' heads. They're bigger this time, because there's really only two characters in this movie. and mm -hmm. So it's just the, the two big heads, and... I don't know. Show me something besides heads. <laughs> I know, but I, I really like this is also a drawing and it's a really good drawing. They're a really good likeness. Yeah, to painting. The... Yeah, this is skilled. This is somebody who's made probably like 10,000 posters like this. Yeah. I like it. It's just, yeah, just the the two protagonists. It looks like there's a, a night sky, some stars. The the male protagonist is looking at her very lovingly. And the tagline is, together for the first time. Because it was their first movie together. Yeah, because this, this era of Hollywood is all about star power. Yes. And they got Clark Gable. Yeah. The, one of the biggest names in Hollywood. Yes, who we'll see many times over the course of this, uh, of this podcast. Our first time crossing paths with the king. Yes. The first of many. Yep. Uh, it's better than the other Just Heads posters we've seen. Yeah. The color scheme is better. It doesn't really say anything about the movie, though. No. It's... Yeah, the colors are nice, but yeah, it just tells you nothing about the movie, and I give me something besides big, fat actor heads. <laughs> yeah. I feel nothing. Casting characters? Sure. All right, so we have Clark Gable, who plays Peter Warren, who's a newspaper reporter. Uh, we have Claudette Colbert, 
who plays Ellen or Ellie Andrews. They always call her Ellie, but uh, her name appears in print multiple times in this and movie. And it's Ellen. It's always Ellen in print, yeah. but Ellie to her friends. She's an heiress. We have uh, Walter Connolly, who plays her father, Alexander Andrews. Alexander. Do they ever... No, we yeah. don't know. I, I found out his first name uh, looking up the, the characters and the, and the actors. Otherwise, they always call him Mr. Andrews. One of the many uh, movie characters who only gets a name in the credits. Yeah. We have Roscoe Carnes, who plays Oscar Shapley, the annoyingly creepy guy on the bus. Our first returning actor. Yeah, he was an actor. He played in Wings. Yeah, he was the guy who... Uh, talk shit about mary and the main male lead uh, threatened to beat him up and the main male lead in this movie threatens to beat him up so <laughs> this is a <laughs> he's been typecast as a pest yeah it's a recurring thing for this guy and then we have it's a very small role but we have jameson thomas who plays king wesley who's uh ellie's fiance and he's described as a pilot and a fortune hunter yeah, the uh, premier aviator of the time, what, yeah. whatever the hell that means in <laughs> 1930s uh, parlance. I don't know. Now, some information about the movie. Uh, the movie was directed by Frank Capra, who also directed movies such as uh, Lady Day, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, in just a couple of weeks, we'll watch another of his movies entitled um, You Can't Take It With You from 1938 uh, because it also won Best Picture. Another uh, Just Heads poster. Another Just Heads poster. We, we just looked at it. never escape. Yes. The movie is based on a novel entitled Night Bus by uh, <laughs> Night Bus. That's a yes. way better title. I would have liked <laughs> this would be number one on my list if it was called Night Bus. A novel by uh, Samuel Hopkins Adams. Uh, it was distributed by Columbia Pictures. Uh, the movie was released on February 22nd, 1934, and the running time is 105 minutes. You know, the more I'm thinking about it, the, the current title doesn't make sense because it doesn't... This it movie, doesn't just happen one night. No, this movie <laughs> happens over a, a, a course of three nights minimum. I want my money back. <laughs> Yeah, it's at least false one, advertising. Two, sold a three. bill of goods. The main, yeah, the main action, the like, three suing. three fourth of the movie happened uh, at least over like forties, uh, three nights. I'm suing Clark Gable. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> and then it had a budget of three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, but made over two million dollars uh, worldwide. Yeah, small budget because of the studio it came out of. Yeah. All right, buckle up because this movie is a treasure trove of fun facts. Lots of drama surrounding this film. Lots of drama. Okay, let's start with the fact that it is not the first time that Frank Capra and Claudette Colbert uh, worked together. They had already done a movie together in 1927, and the title of that movie is For the Love of Mike. But it was a failure, and it is now a lost movie. Can't imagine why. <laughs> a title like that? Uh, even though she is presented as an actress, as an American actress, 
Claudette Colbert, the female lead in this movie, was born in France. <gasps> and her real name is Emilie Claudette Chauchouin. Yep, gotta change that. Yeah. <laughs> Your name is Mr. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> she originally worked on Broadway, uh, but then became one of the major actresses from the 30s to the 50s. Uh, she was so successful that she was able to work freelance instead of being uh, contracted and tied down to a specific studio, which apparently was the norm at the time. Like, Todd Gable himself was yep. on contract with uh, MGM. Uh, speaking of studios, the movie was distributed by Columbia Pictures, which... Um, do you remember uh, what the little piece of trivia that we got from Amazon called them? Yeah, we watch all the movies... Uh, by renting them on Amazon, and you get some general trivia yes. from there. And it said that Columbia Pictures was a uh, Poverty Row studio, so it was the yes. it was the bottom of the uh, food chain at the time. Yeah, so it says uh, Columbia Pictures was not as successful uh, a studio as it uh, might have been later, but uh, so other studios like uh, Warner Brothers or MGM would lend them actors. Yeah, that's why the budget was so low is because they were the, the shit tier yes. studio of the time. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Clark Gable and uh, Claudette Colbert were far, far away from being the first choices to play the leads. Uh, the roles had been offered to a variety of other actors who all refused for various reasons. Uh, Gibble and Colbert were also described as reluctant participants <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, meaning they didn't want to do it, but they had no other choice. Yes. Well, so apparently uh, Claudette Colbert didn't want to work with uh, Capra again because of the disaster of their first movie together. Uh, and she only accepted after the studio doubled her sal the salary that she was initially offered. Gable, uh, on the other hand, was under contract um, with MGM, uh, and legend has it that he was lent to uh, Columbia Pictures after refusing a role at MGM. Yep, being punished. Yes. A couple more things. Follow the rules or we'll send you the shit <laughs> couple more fun facts. The movie was restored in uh, 2013. Um, it looks really good. It might be yeah. one of the most uh, well-preserved movies we've watched so far yes uh it has a high score of 98 percent. 98 on rotten tomato and 87 on uh metacritic i mean it's not terrible but it's not 98 jesus well that still has 98 percent on, on rotten tomatoes uh it won uh five academy awards um for uh, outstanding production, best director, best adaptation, best actor, and uh, best actress. It is the first movie to do so to win what is referred to as the Big Five. The High Five. And the only two other movies who that have uh, won the Big Five are uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 1975, and Silence of the Lands, 1991. Very prestigious company. Yeah. And then uh, one last thing is that both uh, Gable and Colbert's Oscars were auctioned off 
but Col- uh, Colbert's Oscar uh, didn't get any bids. <laughs> wah, wah. Uh, Gable, yeah. Uh, yeah, Gable's Oscar was auctioned off to uh, Steven Spielberg, who then uh, then gave it uh, gave it away, donated it to the motion pictures. Yeah, everybody knows Clark Gable, but Colbert, who re- she related to Steven Colbert? No, then I don't give a I don't shit. Think so. She, I looked at her acting credits, and she was in over like thirty movies between the uh, between the thirties and fifties. So she was fairly active. Mm. The memory fades quickly. <laughs> I think that's it for me. That's it from fun facts. No more funs. No more facts. Now we must engage with the plot. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. We open on a medium-sized boat floating near the coast of Miami. I'd call this, what, like 150 feet long? Mm, yeah. Also, it's fairly small. Immediate, immediately noticing uh, how well-preserved it is, that water was real shiny. Mm. Good looking. Yep. Uh, on deck of the ship, the captain is speaking to his first mate. A hunger strike, eh? How long has this been going on? She hasn't had a thing today or yesterday, is the reply. Why don't you jam it down her throat, says the captain, uh, before going to observe this strike for himself. We then see a group of sailors gathered around a door inside the ship, while a woman yells from inside that she's not going to eat a thing until they let her off this boat. Inside the room, uh, the woman, Ellie, our female lead, Mm -hmm. uh, argues with the captain who's come in, who turns out to be her father. Uh, The argument is over Ellie's recent marriage that her father doesn't approve of. His plan is apparently to hold her captive on his boat while he attempts to have the marriage annulled. We n- never really get an explanation of... I don't. At least I don't remember the, uh, being given an explanation for why he doesn't approve of the marriage. Uh, he has some... He knows her would-be husband because mm. they just travel in the same social circles yeah. because King Wesley is the premier aviator of the mm-hmm. time and he's a bigwig banker and uh yeah we never get specifics about what he knows about him but he just makes vague comments about how he's no good and how he doesn't really it's more of a conquest it, right. it feels like than an actual romance where he genuinely cares about her yeah my only the only uh, thing that i could think of is when i saw that uh, king wesley was described as a a fortune hunter i thought that maybe this was the the reason why the father disapproved because he knows he's after money he does look noticeably older than her yes so yeah the age gap might have something to do with it mm-hmm he does make a a comment later on when he's talking to Wesley about, uh, oh, so you've you've uh, chanced into a good thing and you're not going to let it go, huh? Yeah. Now, as they argue, food is brought in and uh, the captain calms Ellie's protest by saying the food is for him, not for her. Uh, while he's eating, she complains that he's been telling her what to do her entire life, to which he replies, that's because you've always been a stubborn idiot. <laughs> Uh, He then tries to entice her to smell the piece of steak he's eating, but she smacks it out of his hand and flips the table over with the food on it, at which point I said, hell yeah. I enjoyed this thread, this interaction. I enjoyed the the fact that it felt like it set the tone for the movie and felt like, okay, there was going to be some good banter. She is not having any of this, and it's just, uh, yeah. She threatens to destroy all the furniture in the room, and Mm -hmm. she is yelling and... Ooh, she's mad. Yeah, act 
acting a little bit like a spoiled brat. Though. Yes. It's because she is a rich spoiled brat. Yes. And then uh, he slaps her in response, which is very, it's like a, it's a reflex. It's a very weak slap. It's only like the tip of the fingers and it doesn't even like move her head at all. Yeah, but it did look like uh, he actually touched her. Oh yeah, he definitely made contact. It was just very weak contact and he yeah. immediately, you see on his face, he's shocked and appalled at what he did and, and so is she. Ellie runs out of the room and out to the railing of the ship, which as she then climbs up on the railing, takes one last look at her father running towards her before diving into the water and escaping. Hell yeah. Uh, not putting up with any of this. A father tells his crew to contact local detectives and have them watch every road, airport, and train station in Miami. The chase is on. Mm -hmm. Which they also send out boats after her. Yes. But they're unable to catch her, which is weird because she's one small woman swimming in the ocean and they multiple people in big, you know, rowboats. Whatever. She gets away. She might just be a very experienced swimmer. And she also has like full dress and heels on too. So yeah, all that cloth weighing her down. Nope. Couldn't do it. Her rage gives her a speed. Cut to uh, detectives at a bus station. Uh, one complaining to the other that this is a waste of time because a girl like Ellie Andrews would never take a bus. Camera then pans ten feet to the right and we see Ellie, who has paid an old woman to purchase a ticket for her. To New York. To New York, where King Wesley is. After that brief stop on Ellie, the camera continues on and we see a group of men clustered around a phone booth. Uh, a newcomer walks up to the crowd and asks what the excitement is all about and is informed that there's a man biting a dog in there, mm -hmm. which uh, is not to be taken literally. It just means the man on the phone is uh, having an argument yeah. with his employer. You know, when we first, uh, when we watched the, the movie together, I thought this, somebody said there's a man buying a dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like okay, this doesn't seem very. This isn't. I don't know what the excitement is. It's is a Labrador and poodle mix. It's a Labradoodle. You ever seen them? They're <laughs> cutest shit you ever seen. Oh my god! All right, enter our male lead, uh, Peter Warren, uh, Clark Gable, who there is definitely a type for male leads in this era. Slick back hair, pencil mustache. He looks almost exactly like the Baron did. In Grand yeah. Hotel. Yeah. Did not as uh, well-dressed. No, but, but he's way more handsome. Yeah. Exact same uh, physical appearance in the face. He's tall, broad shoulders. Yeah, he, yeah he's very, very Smooth-faced. Yep. Yeah. Clark Gable, king of Hollywood. Uh, all the men want to be him. All the women want him. Uh, he's on the phone uh, with the editor of the paper he writes for. And he says... Hey, listen, monkey face. When you fire me, you fire the best news hound your filthy scandal sheet ever had. Mm. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me you were going to write your latest story in Greek? Snaps the editor. Uh, that was free verse, you gas house palooka. <laughs> says, says Peter. And this, the shot of him in the phone booth, because it's the camera, like, in the phone booth, mm -hmm. really close up on his face. And it, it just looked like a modern movie to me like in what sense well when you see modern movies they're shot in black and white because they're trying to look old but mm -hmm. they look a little too clean to be old it had that same like this looks too clean to be an actual old movie it okay. was really 
really sharp detail on his face. I was impressed. On and on it goes. Palooka, yeah, he's he's got a lot of great uh, slang in this movie. What does Palooka mean? Palooka is just like, uh, you big lug, you knucklehead, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah, you bozo. Uh, the editor's secretary informs him that Peter reversed the charges on the call, which enrages the editor, and he hangs up. Uh, on the other end, Peter pretends to still be talking to him and makes it sound like the editor is apologizing and giving him his job back. Uh, he hangs up and makes his way to the bus, surrounded by the men who were around the phone booth who drunkenly call out for people to make way for the king. He seems to be intoxicated as well. There's no... Yes, oh, he's definitely drunk. We get no context for who any of these people are, or why they're drunk, or nothing. He walks to the very back of the bus and finds the seat he wanted to sit in is occupied by large stacks of newspapers. He complains to the driver, but the driver doesn't seem to care, so Peter just throws the newspapers out the window. Uh, Now the bus driver cares. Uh, The driver comes up and threatens to sock him in the nose, but Peter is witty enough to make his fellow passengers laugh with his replies, so the driver retreats. Uh, Peter then turns back to the seat to find it is now being taken up by Ellie. He tells her to scram, but she refuses, so he sits down next to her, and they're off. They have an extended exchange between the driver and him, where uh, he keeps uh, saying witty things like, oh, I like my nose on my face, to the... And then the driver replies like, oh, yeah? Yeah, everything uh, Peter says, the response from the driver is, oh, yeah? And he does that three times until finally Peter goes, as a matter of fact, yeah. Yeah. And then everybody around him laughs, and then the, the bus driver retreats. Next scene, uh, and this, it's like a big, almost like double-decker bus. And it had, they show uh, a shot of the front of it as it pulls away from the bus station. Mm -hmm. It's a big bus station, too. It's almost like a train station would be in modern times. And the bus has, like, almost a dozen license plates on the front of it. Yeah, which I didn't understand what any of them were were doing on the bus apart from like an actual license plate public transit was very different 90 years yeah, ago i guess yeah it's also uh, the bus is going to go through multiple states so it might have uh, different licenses to go through different states yeah. i don't know do they even have highways at this point god knows how <laughs> transportation and all i those... mean probably but they they also uh, most likely look very different from what the highways we know nowadays yeah that was one of the things i enjoyed about this movie the most is just the glimpse you get into what it was like yeah. to long distance travel in those days because they make multiple stops at rest stops mm-hmm. and it, it's also surprising how just stark and empty the land is because yeah. the restaurants they stop at, there's like nothing around for miles. Mm-hmm. It's just these little oasises of places to go to the bathroom and get a bite to eat and, and to you continue on through the wilderness, basically. Do you remember the company of the bus? No. It says Greyhound really? on, the, on the top. Another uh, Lipton tea type <laughs> sighting. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, another thing about consuming old media as you get to realize just how old some of these modern companies are yeah next scene is the bus pulling up to a rest station where a man is standing outside ringing a bell and yelling the virtues of red hot coffee and hot dogs he's like uh the salvation army people outside Mm -hmm. of walmart he's got his bell yeah but uh he's not taking donations for the lord he's uh taking donations for some uh, piping hot meat the passengers are let off for 15 minutes, and while Peter is leaning against a lamp post smoking a pipe, 
he sees someone sneak up behind Ellie and steal her suitcase without her noticing. She's just leaning up against the corner of a bus. I don't even know why she took her suitcase off with her. Because it had money in it, and I guess she didn't want to just leave it on the bus for anybody to go through, but clearly it would have been safer on the bus. Yeah, but rampant theft in these days, too. This is not the first thief they're going to deal with. Yeah. Constant uh, trouble with highwaymen on the roads. Uh, Peter runs after the thief, but isn't able to catch him. He comes back and tells Ellie what happened, and she says she's in trouble now because all her money was in there. Mm. Peter says he's going to let the driver know what happened, but Ellie stops him and tells him to mind his own business. They go back and forth a couple times over this, yeah. where he's just, you know, let me tell him, no, come on, let me, no, but I need to, no. Yeah. She leaves, and Peter mutters under his uh, breath that she's an ungrateful brat, and that becomes her official nickname from him. Throughout the movie, hey brat. I like it because it was never. It's it was seemed almost affectionate. It never he never seemed to me to say it in a condescending way. No, it's yeah, it's a, a teasing kind of way. Yeah. On the bus, Peter makes it back to the back seat first, so Ellie chooses to sit further up next to a very large man who's snoring loudly. Mm. He slumps over onto Ellie almost immediately after they take off. So she decides to uh, get up and sit in the back next to Peter after all. She turns around in in her seat to look, and Peter notices her looking but pretends like he doesn't. And then he puts his hand down on Uh the seat next to him. Like, oh, is he trying to, like, get her to sit on his hand so he can can cop a feel? Is that what he's doing? That's exactly what I thought. But she comes over and sees it, and she just picks it up and puts it over on him wise to his tricks the next morning uh the bus has stopped and the passengers are unloading to get breakfast and we see that ellie is still asleep and she's curled up against peter and holding on to his arm he's also put uh one of his sweaters around her to keep her warm that was sweet Uh, she wakes up and is clearly embarrassed and apologizes peter invites her to get some breakfast but she declines because she's going to the windsor hotel Uh, never says why but she needs to go Peter's... I assumed it was to get more money, or where well, when she comes back, she has less money than she had before she left. So it was I. I assumed that it was either to get food or to get more money. No idea. Peter says they only have thirty minutes and she'll never make it in time, but she tells him it'll be fine. She'll just tell the driver to wait for her, and she does on her way out. Wait for me. She said, "I'll just be a couple minutes late." Yeah, and he says, "Yeah, sure, whatever." Cut to Ellie returning to the station to find that the bus has left without her. Yeah, because she's not just a couple minutes late. She's 20 minutes late. She complains to one of the employees, but uh, he tells her it sucks to suck, and the next bus leaves in 12 hours. The employee then walks away, and uh, Ellie is greeted by Peter. He's just sitting off to the side on a suitcase. Uh, She immediately realizes he missed the bus on purpose so he could uh, talk to her some more. Uh, and tells him that her sleeping against him didn't mean anything, and not to concern himself with her, uh, she can take care of herself. Peter then tells her she's doing a bad job of it, and gives her her ticket that she left behind on the bus. He then tells her she'll never get away with it, and her father will catch her before she's even halfway to New York. She says he's got the wrong girl, but Peter shows her the front page of the paper that has her picture on it. 
He tells her that she should head back to Miami because her husband is a phony and turns to leave. So he seems to know stuff about Wesley too. He turns to leave, but she grabs his arm before uh, he can walk away and asks if he's going to contact her father. She offers to pay for his silence, which offends him. The only way you get anything is to buy it, isn't it? It never fails, does it? I guess it never occurred to you to just say, Please, mister, I'm in trouble. Will you help me? No, that'd bring you down off your high horse for a minute. I'm not interested in you, King Wesley, or your father. You're all a lot of hooey to me. And he walks away. <laughs> I liked his, I liked his, uh, yeah, his offended speech. Yeah, I appreciate that he's, you know, um, that he is not afraid of teasing her for about her money or about her attitude and, you know, bring her a little bit more back down to earth. Yeah, just because you're uh, all caught up in your drama doesn't mean everyone else is too. Yeah. We then uh, see Peter sending a telegram to the editor uh, that fired him mere minutes ago, informing the editor that he stumbled on a huge story because he knows where Ellie Andrews is. And when he says that, the telegraph operator uh, uh, looks up from taking the message and goes, Do you really? He goes, Keep taking the message. Uh, The charge is $2.60 to send this telegram, and he tells the uh, telegram lady to send it collect. This is a recurring uh, gag in the movie where he always makes the editor pay for the messages he sends. (laughs) To the increasing uh, rage and anger of the editor. Back on the bus, Ellie is looking for a seat again and once again refuses to sit next to Peter, instead sitting next to a man who introduces himself as Shapely and immediately starts hitting on her. Oh my god. Like a fire hose. Oh, that was creepy, uncomfortable, and just all I wanted to do was punch him in the nose. This is the guy from Wings. All right, I got his uh, I got his monologue down oh, here. Oh gosh, and not even all of it. This is just part. So keep you get that... the believe you me. Oh yeah, keep that in mind. This is this is a mere fraction of what immediately gets launched Ellie's way. <clears throat> you look like you got class with a capital K. What the hell does that even mean? I'm a guy who knows class when he sees it. Believe you me, Shapely sure knows how to pick him. Shapely's the name, and that's how I like him. You made no mistake sitting next to me. You know, there's nothing I like better than to meet a high-class mama that can snap back at you. Because the colder they are, the hotter they get. When a cold mama gets hot, boy, how she sizzles. Now you're just my type. Believe, uh, believe me, sister, I could go for you in a big way. Fun on the side, shapely, they call me. With accent on the fun, believe you me. Ah. Uh relentless fucking Niagara Falls fire hose blast this woman's face off. Yeah, when he yeah, when he said like I could go for you in a big way, I'm like, shut up. Oh my god, dude. Jesus. Peter then He yeah, he doesn't let her get a a word and he's just like it uh, is the second her ass touches the seat, he just goes. And it's not it's not even like aggressive like you see sometimes nowadays but it's just relentless yes there's no he doesn't even stop to breathe like she does tell him that he's boring her to pieces and that's why he has the line about liking a mama that snaps back yeah but ugh. 
Peter then mercifully steps in and tells Shapely he'd like to sit next to his wife, uh, which causes Shapely to sheepishly uh, mumble an apology and leave. He keeps referring to Peter as Doc. Oh, I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Doc, even though I don't know where that came from. I think it's just a, a general thing to to call people back in those times, like mm -hmm. Bugs Bunny saying, what's up, Doc? Yep. Ellie tries to thank Peter, uh, but Peter says he didn't do it for her. Shapely's voice was getting on his nerves. Same. Thank you, Peter. Uh, a man selling cigars and candy then walks down the bus. They got, like, snack criers like you see at modern baseball games. Yeah. Public transport was much, much different in those days. <laughs> uh, and Ellie tries to buy some chocolate, uh, but Peter doesn't allow her because she only has a uh, sixty left to make it to New York. I, I didn't like this. I didn't like how Peter is very... Command controlling. Yeah, controlling and commanding throughout the whole movie, which I understand that is what masculinity is back in 1930s times, but it's, yeah, it's not, he's right in that she should be being careful with her money, but there's a much wetter, better way to uh, present it than, no, you're not going to do that, mm -hmm. because I know better, and even the uh she tries to fight back and be like no i want the and he's even rude to the the snack guy he's like get out of here scram you know he's very very assertive and, and domineering and i don't yeah. i don't like it there's i understand what you're saying i think there's something also in this movie about money just he's he knows she lost her money when her suitcase was stolen she had only four dollars left after that she's clearly spent uh, over half of her money and they're not even halfway through new york and he's if he wants the story he's gonna have to take care of her yeah and he obviously uh, doesn't have a lot of money himself his logic is sound it's just it's just the the way he delivers he's, it he's yeah a little too controlling for my taste yeah we then see a man wearing a heavy raincoat uh, standing by the road in the pouring rain and swinging a lantern to get the bus's attention. It is, it's raining for the majority of the time they're in the bus, mm -hmm. which is neat. I like a good traveling through rain. I like the sound. That yes. I, mean. I like the, the sound that of uh, just in general and in, in life also just the sound of uh, rain falling on the window. Yeah, I understand why the, the novel was called Night Bus because... It is mostly nighttime and mostly raining when yeah. they're on the bus. And they're on the bus for more than half the movie. Yes. I wish the entire thing had just been on the bus. But we'll get to that. Uh, the bus stops and is informed that the bridge ahead is washed out. And they won't be able to make it uh, over the bridge until morning. But there's an auto camp just up the road where the passengers can sleep. At the camp, uh, Peter rents a cabin and claims Ellie is his wife again, so they don't have to pay for two cabins. Do you remember uh, the price per cabin? Uh, $2? $2 a night. Breaking the bank. Inside their cabin, Ellie tells Peter his ego is colossal, to which he responds, Yeah, it's not bad. How's yours? <laughs> I like how snarky he is. He just needs to be a little less domineering. As he unpacks his suitcase on the bed, uh, she continues by asking why he thought she'd be okay with this arrangement, and he tells her not to get any funny ideas, she's just a headline to him. He tells her he's a newspaper man, this is where she finally figures it out, yeah. and that he'll get her back to her husband in exchange for exclusive rights to her story. 
She opens the door to leave, uh, but Peter tells her that he'll just follow her out, and if she continues to be a problem, he'll contact her father. That's my plan in a nutshell, he says. I appreciated that he was very upfront with her. Like, the you're just a, a headline to me. Like, I appreciate that he didn't uh, just pretend to care about her or, uh, you know, wanted to make sure that she was okay. I, that was very upfront, and I, yeah, I like it. Yeah, which he very easily could have because it's also a recurring thing throughout this movie for him to play a character to get out of situations, to pretend to be someone else. So, yeah, he very easily could have pretended to actually be interested in her. But, no, he's very matter of fact and upfront. Because, yeah, it's such a, you know, such a a trope nowadays. Somebody pretends to be... uh, what they're not, and then yep. they get fi- uh, found out, and I it creates drama. didn't know how to tell you. No, he's like, yeah, you're a story. Don't don't get all weird. Which also, you know, puts her back in her place, too. It's just, you're, you're famous. People are bound to write stories about you, so you should just know where you stand. Yep. He shuts the door and starts draping a blanket over a string that's uh, going down the center of the room. It's like the uh, the sitcom trope where they divide an apartment in half. This mm-hmm. is my side, this is your side. So it'll make a, a wall between the two beds. Peter says it's because he's delicate and doesn't like prying eyes. Before I go any further on the plot synopsis, there was, before she goes into the cabin, she's just standing out by the side of the road with a, a, a coat draped over her head to keep the water off. Mm-hmm. And that's, that scene was confusingly shot to me. Yes. Because he's calling, you notice this too? He's yeah. calling for her like he's in front of her to come yeah. to the cabin. And then he says, you know, come get inside out of the rain. And then she turns around and runs behind her. So I thought she was running away and just goes into a completely separate cabin. Absolutely. But, but then it's the right one. I don't, yeah. I guess he was calling out from behind her, but the way it shot makes it look like he's in front of her. And then she turns around and runs away. Yes. Uh, it was confusing. Yeah. Badly shot. It's the Poverty Row studio, right? They don't know. <laughs> this is why they're shit here. <laughs> Behold the walls of Jericho, he says when he's finished. Do you get that? No, it, I, I understood the uh, I understood what he said, but I don't get the reference. It's a biblical reference. Okay. The walls of Jericho were they were a city under siege by the Israelites, I think, if memory serves, and they had to march around the walls for seven days, I think, and then blow a trumpet, and then God called caused the walls to crumble, and they invaded and slaughtered everyone hooray so that's why i also saw a piece of trivia that said that the walls of jericho were the director's idea because ellie didn't the actress who played ellie didn't want to undress on camera but she does undress on camera multiple times in this movie so i don't know what that was about and also it said she had previously already done nude scenes in other movies she'd been in so i don't i don't i don't know He then gives Ellie his best pair of pajamas as a peace offering, Uh, but she doesn't budge from her spot by the door. She's just been like plastered up against the door ever since he closed it, not saying a thing, just being sitting there fuming. So he guesses that she must be interested in the way a man undresses and gives a demonstration of the particular order in which he takes his clothes off. And he also has a little story about like, I knew a man once who, you know, most men start with their shirt and then move to their pants. But I knew a man once who uh, uh, saved his hat for very last and it was because he wore a toupee. 
and now me, I take my shirt off first, and then you think I go for the pants, but no, I'm a little non-standard. I go for the shoes next, and he gives like this whole long presentation. There's a, so, uh, another piece of uh, fun fact for uh, for this, uh, and I got this from. Um, <gasps> you said we were done. I know. You but lied. I now that you've put it in the synopsis, I need to get off this couch. <laughs> get off. Wikipedia informs us. Relationships require trust. <laughs> I broke all my promises. It's all fall apart. Okay. Wikipedia <laughs> informs us that in It Happened One Night made an, an immediate impact on the public. I quote, in one scene, Gibble undresses for bed. This is the scene. Uh, taking off his shirt to reveal that he is bare-chested. Yes, you do, see, you do see his his nipples. <gasps> an urban legend claims that, as a result, sales of men's undershirts declined noticeably. Think, but yeah, so he was. Uh, oh, he wasn't influential. Wearing an, he in <laughs> wasn't wearing an undershirt, so like, oh, guess we don't need them. Yeah, we don't need undershirts anymore. The pretty man's not wearing. Them. I won't wear them, and then I'll be pretty. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, when he makes it to the point where his pants are coming off, she quickly rushes to the other side of the blanket wall. This is another weird shot. Did you notice this? Because it's shot from one angle, and she starts to uh, he starts to go for the pants, and then she like gets up off the door and starts to rush. Mm-hmm. But then it cuts to a different angle, and she's still at the door, and she has to start and rush again. Yes. So they ed yeah they edited yeah. it poorly where she starts to go, and then it cuts to a different angle, and she she has to start again. Editing it's hard. Uh, Peter tells her not to worry. The walls of Jericho will protect her from the big bad wolf. He even sings a song about being the, the big bad wolf once mm. he gets into bed. She asks that he turns out the lights when he as she gets into her pajamas. Uh, and he lays in bed in the dark smoking a cigarette while the blanket moves suggestively. I like this scene a lot because it's just dark. And the camera is positioned to where you can see both their beds. So it's like staring with the, the blanket dividing the two sides and the room is completely dark and the only light is coming through the rain soaked windows. It's yeah. very, very moody and atmospheric. There's yeah. a lot of good lighting in this movie. Yeah. And then you see the, him just laying in the bed with the lights off and this, he's smoking a cigarette in bed <laughs> and the smoke just curling in, in the moonlight as the rain hits the window. It's very, yeah, the, very artistic yes very almost noirish yeah i liked it it felt like it, that scene uh, in particular felt like it, it had there's was a lot of thinking that went into it yeah careful camera positioning yeah they're actually paying attention to, to stuff like now that getting a uh, better at uh, framing shots at that point uh, ellie realizes that she doesn't even know his name yet and asks who he is his response is, I'm the whippoorwill that cries in the night. I'm the soft morning breeze that caresses your lovely face. Nah, I don't, I don't like this one as much as the Baron's reply in the Grand Hotel about being the black sheep of a white flock yeah. and uh, how he will die on the gallows. I think that's a much better uh, moody, dramatic reply than, <laughs> than Peter offers here. That's nice. What's your name? Says Ellie. Uh, Peter Warren. Uh, she says she doesn't like it, and he tells her it's okay. She'll be giving it back in the morning. Mm. We uh, fade into a shot of the exterior of a plane. This plane is cool because it's not... It's like a snub-nosed 
personal plane, it's not painted over so it all looks like one piece like yes. modern planes do it's yeah. all you can see all the seams on the different panels so it's all yeah. just made out of squares basically and very yeah shortened nose with the propeller in the front where you can see like all the guts behind the propeller mm. it's a cool plane i like it and we move inside to see that that plane is the flying headquarters of ellie's father he is a man who has seemingly unlimited resources throughout this movie uh, he has a small table and a radio and is getting constant up-to-the-minute updates on the search for his daughter. He also has an assistant there with him, and the assistant is nervous about Ellie's safety, and uh, he's trying not to panic. And <laughs> Yeah, like, what's going to happen to her on the way to New York? And he's, his anxiety is clearly making Ellie's father anxious, too. He's like, shut up. Why, sh why should she be uns unsafe? Don't stop it. Back down in the cabin, it's morning, and Ellie wakes up, and we hear the sound of a plane passing overhead. Peter enters and tells Ellie she needs to get ready because they'll be leaving soon, uh, and that the showers are outside. And then she walks out after they have this brief scene, like, oh, I have nothing to wear, and then he gives her a robe and all the stuff, and mm -hmm. where are the showers? And they just banter for a few minutes, and then yeah. she, she walks out of the cabin, and the camera follows her as she walks through the, the auto camp, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, like, people hanging out clothes, and kids just playing in the road. And Everybody, whenever, when she's walking uh, to the showers, I noticed that everybody was, like, turning around and looking at her. Well, yeah, she's... She's much more well-to-do in appearance than all the other people yes. there, especially the the women. When she gets to the showers, there's a line of women, and they are all clearly cast to be much less attractive than she is. But I, was, I also thought at that point that maybe, you know, there was more news about her in the newspapers, and that people were recognizing her, and that's why they were turning around. Yep. Yeah, at the showers, there's a line of women waiting, uh, but Ellie is uh, high society and she has never used a public shower like this before. So she just cuts to the, the front of the line and opens the door, uh, which results in her getting yelled at by the women inside. <laughs> Can a girl get some privacy? And then everyone in the line laughs at her because she's a, you know, a dumb, dumb city girl, doesn't know how it works. And then she goes to the back of the line and there's a, a little girl in the line who turns and sticks her tongue out at her and Ellie sticks out her tongue back. Swipe cut and Ellie exits the shower uh, at the same time as Shapely does from uh, the the men's side. He walks up and apologizes for yesterday and says she should have told him that she was married. Back in the cabin, her and Peter sit down for breakfast of coffee, eggs, and donuts, and she complains about how hard it is to grow up rich, always being told where to go, what to do, and how to do it. Uh, watched every second by nurses and nannies and bodyguards. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a horrible life. In fact, this is the first time she's ever been alone with a man, and it's a wonder she's not panicking, at which point I go, aren't you married? Yeah. It, she also... How did she... Yeah, well, you have to have somebody else uh, present when you're getting married. Well, she but... also tells a story later about how she meets her current husband, and it's about her running away from a bodyguard and just jumping into a random car, which happens to be King Wesley's... I guess the driver was also in the car, so they weren't alone, yeah. but... Uh, Peter then critiques her donut 
dunking technique because they're dunking their donuts in their coffee. And this is the recurring thing Peter does as well, where he just... He's mansplaining. He, yeah, you know, I, that's no way to do uh, whatever random activity. Here, let me show you how to do random activity. And, and his problem in this instance is that she's soaking it too long mm. and it needs to be a quick dunk and then into your mouth is, yeah. is the proper technique, he says. Because otherwise the donut is just going to melt and just and fall into the coffee. Yeah, just like an Oreo. You hold it too long, you, you bring it back up, and then it's sunk to the very bottom. And then you've actually got to drink milk and nobody wants that. They then hear voices approaching outside, talking about detectives and looking for a girl. It was like the proprietor of the auto camping. Like, there is no girl like that in this place. Hold on, hold on. Can we come back to the Oreo thing? Because <laughs> I felt feel like I missed an opportunity for, for a debate, for another one of our food debates. What, about how long you should hold an Oreo in milk? Yes. Not until it falls apart, because then you're going to have to fish some mush out of there. You're going to have to dredge it like you're dredging for a body. What's wrong with that? Because it's mush. I don't want to drink. But then it's soaked in milk, and that's the, that's the way to do it. I don't want to eat applesauce flavored oreo goop i, I want to eat an oreo good grief i think the only way to do it is to put the whole oreo in the milk for at least 30 seconds now who's mansplaining <laughs> excuse me woman'splaining. yep okay they hear the voices approaching uh peter disguises ellie by making her hair a little bit messy and unbuttoning her blouse this is an insult to disguises to even call this a disguise like he doesn't even mess up her hair that much it's like a few strands get out of place and he opens the buttons on her blouse no and also the people who are coming for her would most likely know what she looks like yeah they have her picture yeah so they're not gonna just come in and then ask where's ellie where's ellie no they know what she looks like how they did not recognize her is just mind-blowing to me yeah this is really weak i think it's the same two detectives who are in the, the bus stop that ellie was in so these guys yeah they're knuckleheads yeah they're just kind of buffoons and the the movie never plays them up as such but they're they're so incompetent that they can't even tell that they're in the same room looking directly at the person they're trying to find. So, yeah, not great. Uh, the detectives enter and Peter and Ellie pretend to be a squabbling married couple. Uh, Peter fake yells until Ellie starts to fake cry and the detectives get uncomfortable and leave. He starts talking really loudly before they even enter about like, oh, yeah, uh, we got to take a, a stop on this trip to see my aunt because uh, the baby's coming soon. And she, you know, like they're in the middle of a, a conversation about mm -hmm. uh, family stuff. Yeah. And then they come in and he's like, you know, you've got no right to be uh, coming, barging in here and questioning my wife like this. And then. Ellie's ploys, oh, they're just asking some simple questions. You never, uh, you're always against me when I'm trying to defend you. And she starts uh, fake crying and he just starts <laughs> screaming, quit balling, quit balling. <laughs> the door closes after the detectives leave and they start laughing and congratulating each other on their fine performances uh, with Peter joking that they should start their own theater company. An another knock on the door and a man tells them uh, the bus is leaving in five minutes and they scramble to finish packing when the knock comes on the door they think it's the detectives so they start screaming again yeah coming back so they immediately hop back in the character the knock comes and 
he just started screaming, quit balling again. <laughs> yeah, that was a good bit. Yeah. Uh, we then pay a quick visit to the editor who receives a telegram from Peter, collect of course, saying that the story is heating up. Uh, the editor tells his secretary that if she accepts one more telegram from Peter, she's fired and he throws it away. Next, we see Ellie's father, who is becoming increasingly worried about her safety, uh, and so puts an offer of $10,000 for information leading to her whereabouts in the newspaper. We then get a close-up of one such newspaper with the reward announcement in it, taking up a good portion of the front page as well as a picture of Ellie, and then zoom out to see that the paper is being read by a man on a bus. Mm -hmm. A man named Shapely. <laughs> oh, shit. He turns around in his seat, looks at Ellie, who doesn't notice he's looking, and yeah. smiles to himself as he hatches a devious plot. All the while, like as soon as we cut to the newspaper, there's music going on in the background. And then when we zoom out, we see that there's a musical performance happening at the back of the bus while Shapely was reading. Uh, and once their song concludes, a passenger asks uh, the people at the back. It's like three people. One has a guitar. One is singing. Does a third guy? Is there a second musical instrument involved? I don't remember. I don't think so. Yeah, it's a very small, small scale performance, which it's almost obligatory in these movies. Like then, there might have been a violin. Yeah, it's something of that nature. Yeah. It seems like they're still caught up in the novelty of being able to hear things. Back in these days, so... Being able to record sound and uh, have it being synchronous with the movie. So there's got, there just has to be some sort of musical performance yeah. in every movie, regardless of whether it fits in or not. Uh, they conclude the song, and one of the passengers asks them if they know the one about the man who flew on the trapeze. Mm. They do know it, and for the next three and a half minutes, the entire bus sings the whole song including the driver who gets a little too into it and drives the bus into a deep mud puddle where it gets stuck. I don't know about you, but I, I almost expected uh, Clark Gable's character to be one of the one of the passengers to, you know, take a course or uh, I I don't know why, because they're both, you know, they're both participating in the in the song. But yeah, he, since it's only men, like you know, getting up and like, can I have the next one? And I almost, I really expected him to like kind of uh, jump up and and maybe uh, take one of the uh, take part into the song to maybe impress Ellie. Yeah, he I, he's participating while they sing the the chorus yeah. very loudly and enthusiastically. But yeah, the the three other uh, the three other stanzas are. Yeah, just performed by ram random passengers. The first one was like in a sailor uniform, kind of. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they get up each time. There's a pod like, is it okay if I do the next one? Yeah. yeah. And then they do it. Had you ever heard this song before? I had never. I have heard this song before. It is the, uh, he flies through the air with the greatest of ease. The daring young man on the flying trapeze. Yep. Never before in my life. I think... I remember where I heard it. I used to have when I was knee high to a grasshopper in the long, long ago of the, the 1990s. I had a uh, computer game on CD-ROM, which was a bunch of like Christmas themed uh, stories. Mm -hmm. And you could just on every uh, virtual page, mm -hmm. 
there was just a bunch of different things you could click on and they do little animations and stuff. And one of them was a mouse that like jumped up and went on a, a tiny little trapeze and sang. And that, and the mouse sang the song. Yeah. Sang that song. Oh, that's cute. Before falling off the trapeze. I, I would not at all be surprised if it, it appeared somewhere in a Looney Tunes cartoon as well. And I watched a shit ton of Looney Tunes when I was yeah. a kid. So I may have heard it there as well. They keep cutting back to the bus driver after each stanza and he gets a little more into it each time yeah. until he's finally singing along and then he claps and lets go of the steering wheel and, <laughs> and that's why the bus veers off into this mud puddle. Gets a little too excited. Yep. Uh, Peter is making sure Ellie is okay from the sudden stop. She like falls off the seat and is wedged down in there and she says, uh, tell the driver that this is the most comfortable place in I've been all day. And then uh, a random boy on the bus starts yelling for help because he can't wake his mom up. Peter takes the boy aside while the other passengers try to help his mother. They all crowd around and they're like fanning her with their hats. And... I thought for a second that she had maybe like hit her head when the bus went off the road. Yeah. Because it, it looked like she had maybe a little bit of blood coming down. But I don't know. Yeah, it happens right after the accident. So yeah. you would assume that it's related. But Peter takes the boy aside while the other passengers try and help. And the boy reveals that they spent all their money on the bus ticket. So his mother could make it to a new job in New York and they haven't eaten for two days. Ellie overhears this story and has Peter give the boy some money so they can eat at the next rest stop. Peter then exits the bus to see how badly it's stuck and shapely exits with him. Say, buddy, like to take a look at my paper, he says. Then he tells Peter that he's on to him and unless he agrees to go 50-50 with him, he'll crab up the works. Mm. <laughs> He's like, I knew she wasn't your wife from the beginning. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Peter tells him to come over away from the bus so they can talk in private. <laughs> they walk away into the dark woods. <laughs> and at this point, I turned to you and said, kill him. Kill him. <laughs> Just fucking nobody. That would have been entertaining. Nobody will know. It's the 1930s. They don't have forensics. Or at least just, you know, give him a, a good hit on the head ice this guy uh they move a few feet into the woods and peter <laughs> says he could use a smart guy like him and does shapely have a gun uh no shapely does not have a gun no worries says peter i've got a couple machine guns in my luggage and you can have the extra you're kidnapping her says shapely what else stupid says peter <laughs> uh shapely starts to get cold feet <laughs> Uh, but Peter keeps up his gangster act and tells him he's in too deep now. Uh, Shapely starts to whine and plead, and Peter finally tells him to scram. But if he tells anyone about it, his kids are as good as dead. Uh, Shapely quickly stumbles away deeper into the woods uh, so, oh, yeah, so fast that he trips over his own feet and falls on yeah. his face. It is you know, revealed during this conversation that he actually has a wife and kids. Yes. But still hits on women on buses. Yep, just like uh, prizing. Also a recurring thing, theme in this mo these movies. Yeah, I like... Peter doesn't even... He doesn't miss a beat with this. Like, he just immediately mm. is like, you got a gun? All right, I'll give you a gun. We're gonna... He, he's <laughs> a, we might have some trouble up north. We might have to get into a shootout with police. <laughs> That's when Shapley's like, oh, 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 no, no. He's... Like, I'll behave. I'll behave. Yep. And he's like... Peter asks him, like, where do you live? got any kids and shapely he's so nervous that he just gives them everything doesn't even think about lying and this is where he, 
Peter makes up some fake guy. He's like, you ever heard of uh, such and such? You've got it in your notes. What is there? The fake character he made up? Bugs Dooley. That's what it is. That's it. Yep. He uh, tells him, you ever hear of Bugs Dooley? Uh, I can't tell you what happened to his kids, but it was so bad that he blew his brains out, which mm. was surprisingly graphic. Yeah. To to hear that in a, a 30s movie. Yeah. Brains everywhere. It was awful. And then, uh, yeah, Shapely gets freaked out and stumbles away. Next scene is Peter and Ellie walking towards a small river, and Ellie asks why they had to leave the bus, too. Peter says it's because once Shapely stops running, he'll start thinking, and also that he thinks she should call her father next chance she gets, because the money he gave to the kid for food uh, was all he had on him, which was yeah. ten bucks. And... He says that it's her fault that they don't have any money because she gave the money to the kid, but he brought it out of his pocket to give to the kid. Yeah, but he hesitated in giving it to him. And he, then, he brought it out. He kept it in his uh, in uh, his hand and was going to put it back, I think, and then before he had the chance to put it back, she took it away from yeah, his hand. Yeah, she takes it out of his hand and, and gives it to him, so now they're both broke. Ellie refuses and says that she'll get to New York even if she has to starve. Peter then has her stand on a log so he can throw her over his shoulder and carry her across the river. She says it's the first time in years she's ridden piggyback, and then they get into an argument about what exactly piggyback means and who the great piggybackers in history are. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was a great piggybacker, <laughs> according to Peter. And uh, it ends with Peter slapping her butt. A lot of casual butt slapping in these movies, too. Yeah. Yeah, it happened almost at the exact same moment because she's just over his shoulder and goes, this is a great piggyback ride. And almost together on cue, me and Peter both go, that's not piggyback. Mm. Like, I, w I was incensed. <laughs> that is not piggyback. That is being over someone's shoulder. Yeah, and then as they walk, they have a, a long to-do about it. Like, oh, you rich folks, you have no concept of what piggyback is. And she comes back with, my father was an excellent piggybacker. And they, you know... They have their, their cute uh, teasing fight about it that ends with the butt slap. Piggyback is actually being like on somebody's back? Yeah, it's like it's like you're a backpack. Okay. You're a human backpack. You're not fireman carry over someone's shoulder. This is this is rich, crazy people stuff. <laughs> Calling that piggyback. No. No thank you, sir. Swipe cut uh, to evening as Peter and Ellie stop for the day in a hayfield. This was probably my favorite location in the movie. I love how this is shot. Yeah. It's very claustrophobic. It had Almost, some great lighting, too. Yes, and like mist in the background. Yeah. You can just see a, a, a hay field disappearing behind this fence that's very close up. And there's mm -hmm. these giant bales of hay on both sides mm -hmm. of the screen. So it's it almost feels like they're in a little room. Yeah. But it's outside. Yeah. And there's a tree. It's very cozy and contained. There's and a tree. You can see a couple uh, houses uh, uh, in the background. Like you're, they're close to a village, but not so close that any that somebody could find them. Yeah. It's so small. It feels like a set. Yeah. I, I really liked how how close and cozy everything was. Uh, while Peter pulls hay off the stacks to make their beds, Ellie complains that she's hungry and scared. And she's just, she's got like her hands behind her and she's looking down at the ground and she's like kicking the hay. Like, I'm hungry, I'm scared. It's very, very juvenile and yeah. whining like a child. Shouldn't have given up all your money. Yep. Yeah. 
Peter tells her that you can't be hungry and scared at the same time because fear ruins your appetite. He finishes her hay bed, uh, but she says it'll wrinkle her clothes. Then take them off. What? Fine. Don't take them off. Do whatever you want. Just shut up about it, <laughs> says Peter. He is, uh, his patience with Ellie is wearing thin at this point because she is uh, almost constant complaints and demands. Spoil, spoiled rich brat. Can't handle it. Drive him up the wall. He goes to make his own bed, but then feels bad and heads off to look for food, which Ellie doesn't notice because she's laying down in her bed and looking the other way. Yeah. Ellie doesn't see him leave and says that she's uh, been getting grumpier, says that he's been getting grumpier, and if he doesn't like her, he could always just leave. Anytime he wants, she'll be just fine. Uh, then she notices he's gone and absolutely loses her shit immediately. Well, just... He can't be, like... 10 feet away from her. No, he's been gone for less than 30 seconds yeah. and she just um, straight to hysterics just jumps up and just starts screaming his name and running around like hands flailing in the air like she's about to die as if she is being murdered. Uh, she starts screaming his name and he comes rushing back to see what's the matter. Uh, she sobs into his chest that she thought he abandoned her. He has found some carrots to eat, but now she is legitimately too scared uh, for an appetite, to have an appetite, uh, and Peter is tired of her shit and goes to have a cigarette by the fence. After a few seconds of silence, she asks what he's thinking about, and he responds that he's wondering what makes dames like her so dizzy. Mm. Lots of good uh, 1930s wise guy talk yeah. in this movie, uh, like palooka and dames and, and dizzy. <laughs> Always a fan. Then we get a close-up of her face as her eyes moisten and she lays in the hay. And we have a slow fade to black on her face. Uh, when we come back, the pair are walking down a paved road. And this is another scene that to me felt like, oh, this is just a modern movie. Because of how clear everything is. Mm -hmm. like, they just look like people walking down a road yeah. with a, a black and white filter on it. They're planning to hitchhike, uh, but it's too early for cars to be out. <laughs> Do you remember a time when early morning motor carriages would not be out on the roads? <laughs> they take a break on the side of the road, and Peter starts eating one of the raw carrots he found, and Ellie complains that he didn't get anything for her to eat. He, she also has him, like, pick a piece of something, I think, hay out of her teeth yes. with a pin or something. Yeah. Then she asks what happens if they can't get anyone to pick them up. And Peter tells her not to worry because he knows so much about hitchhiking he could write a book about it and proceeds to demonstrate different hitchhiking techniques. It's all like various uh, explanations about now this one's all about the thumb and you got to have a good precise movement with your elbow. But this other one, it's all about your face. You got to have a hangdog expression. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one means you've got some new gossip to tell. It's good to use uh, around farms. And things of that nature. He goes on for a while about all the different uh, techniques and ways to get people to stop. A car comes up the road towards them and Peter tells Ellie to watch and learn. Ellie then watches as uh, roughly a billion cars speed by without slowing. It's comically fast. The first one passes by, nothing happens. And then they just start like rapid fire yeah. shooting past with nobody stopping. Yeah. And... Uh, Peter going very quickly through all his different techniques. and All his different movements. Yeah, none of them working. Peter returns to the fence in defeat, and Ellie decides to give it a try. 
Her strategy is to pull her dress up a little higher than the knee, and the first car that sees her leg uh, slams on the brakes so hard the tires squeal. Which apparently, and I'm sorry, I lied again. I had another fun fact. Uh, apparently she was I mean, you've so... already burned everything down. You, <laughs> There's nothing left to destroy at this point. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, she was... Claudette uh, Colbert was so displeased um, about having to pull up her skirt and show, uh, show some legs. Show some of those gams. Um, she thought it was very unladylike. Mm. So uh, the studio had to... They can see my knee. Uh, shocking uh the studio uh, brought in uh what they call the a chorus girl mm. to be her body double yeah but then once she saw the uh, her body double uh she said get her out of here i'll do it that's not my leg <laughs> and she ended up doing it herself no, gams aren't i'm not going to be associated with these junkyard gams mm. show them what a real leg looks like Yep, she just pulls it up a little bit and then, you know, oh, screech. In the car, a jolly man tries to sing to them about hitchhiking. And then Peter says something like, oh, you must got your tonsils removed with singing like that. And then he starts to sing about tonsils, too. It's a, a weird bit. Uh, and then Peter kindly asks him to shut the hell up. Thank you, Peter. He's always there in a pinch to, to get people to stop mm. with their nonsense. Uh, they pull into a rest stop, and the driver goes in for food, but Peter wants to stay in the car because they have no money. Ellie wants to go in and beg for a meal, uh, and she starts to get out of the car, but Peter grabs her arm and says that if she goes in, he'll break her neck. Yikes. She wants a hamburger. Yep. Uh, after a few seconds of uncomfortable silence, uh, he immediately looks... Uh, sorry about what he looks like a a little kid who like knows he did something wrong but mm. doesn't know how to apologize correctly so he's like yeah. uh, let's let's just get out and stretch our legs uh and they walk over to a, a bench where he apologizes uh, while he's doing that the driver comes back out of the rest stop and takes off with peter's suitcase still in the back seat and peter runs after him screaming this is another rest stop that's just like out in the middle of nowhere like the woods yeah just like a very uh lonely road yep. and that's the only that's the only business on it's, the side of the road it's all lonely roads that's why the rain is such a deterrent their to their travels and yeah. the bus gets stuck in a mud puddle cuz they're just traveling along dirt roads mm. through wilderness Sometime later, he comes back with the car, and he's got, like, a, a cut above his eyebrow, and he bleed, a little blood coming down the side of his face. And he tells Ellie that the driver that picked them up was a thief who preys on hitchhikers. He gave the driver a black eye, tied him to a tree, and stole his car. A little bit of the Wild West out here still. Also, how he managed to catch up with a moving car... We don't know. Mm. From pure white-hot rage. They drive away, and Ellie takes a carrot from Peter's coat pocket and slowly begins to eat it. She's finally coming around and uh, lowering herself to eat peasant food. Mm. Then we have another check-in with Ellie's father, who is meeting with her husband, King Wesley. I think this is the first time we ever see him yes. in the movie. Uh, he tells Wesley that he never liked him and never will, but is willing to call a truce for the sake of his daughter. 
He's going to tell the papers that he no longer objects to their marriage, so she'll stop trying to avoid him. Uh, cut back to Ellie, who is reading that very announcement. That's a weird thing with these papers. Like, anytime her dad decides to put something in the paper, yeah. the very next scene, someone has that paper. It's super quick. Yeah, and not even a day has passed, so it's just as soon as he decides to put something in the paper, the paper, has to get printed. the paper just appears yeah. in the world. He can, yeah. It's like he's sending a text message, and then the, the paper just receives it, and they, they can, everyone can immediately uh, see the announcement he made. She's reading the announcement that she can come back home as Peter is getting them uh, a room at another auto lodge. She hides the paper as he comes back, and he says that he managed to get them a room even though they don't have any money, uh, but doesn't understand why she wants to stop when they're only three hours away from New York. Uh, she makes a lame excuse about not wanting to arrive at 3 a.m. She's just silent for a few seconds after he asks. Clearly, you can see the, the smoke coming out of her ears as she tries desperately to come up with an excuse and finally like, Oh, well, well, well whoever heard of arriving at 3 a.m.? Uh, and then they head to their cabin. Once inside, uh, Peter puts up the walls of Jericho again, and as he gets undressed on his side, he compliments Ellie for outsmarting her father. Uh, she asks if she'll ever see Peter again in New York. Nope. Why not? Uh, I don't make it a habit to run around with married women. Won't I ever see you again? Nope. Why? Well, I've served my purpose, haven't I, is the reply. Uh, they're silent for a moment as they get into their beds, and Ellie asks if he's ever been in love. I'm going to stop here because this is a, a, another really well-framed uh, scene. Because as she's asking him these questions about, oh, am I ever going to see you again and all mm -hmm. this stuff, the camera is framed from her side of the blanket, so she's just talking at the blanket, and yeah. you, you can't see him at all. Good, uh good visual uh, symbolizing of the uh the wall that is currently between them both yeah. uh, physically and emotionally because as they get closer to the goal he's getting he's getting upset and doesn't know how to properly express himself and she doesn't really know either so they're both dancing around their feelings for each other and things are getting weird and awkward and tense yeah i like the you know his choice of words in the in the scene like when he said i've served my purpose haven't i because he throughout the movie you know he makes her uh notice that you know, she has money and she's a she's a brat and, and all that stuff and i think him using the the word like, purpose yeah she, he that's probably how he assumes that she's looking at him that he's just helping her you know moving closer and move closer to uh new york but he probably assumes that she doesn't see anything else uh yeah he's a personal him. personal yeah. chauffeur yeah just there to uh make sure she uh, arrives safely in one piece so she asks if he's ever been in love. Seems like you could make some girl awfully happy, mm. she says. He replies, uh, if I met the right girl, they're both laying in their beds at this point, and we do get to, to see Peter as he talks. But where are you going to find her? Somebody that's real. Somebody that's alive. They don't come that way anymore. If he did find someone like that, though, there's an island in the Pacific he'd like to take her to where the moon and the water blend together and the stars are so close you can reach up and stir them around. Mm. At that point, 
Ellie timidly uh, walks around her side of the blanket to enter Peter's side. She like she comes around and just holds. She's very slow yeah. and holds onto the side. She's being bashful. It's cute. And she hesitates for a moment and then just rushes forward and throws herself down by Peter's bed. Uh, take me to your island, she wails. We can run away together. Everything will take care of itself. Please, I can't live without you. Uh, you better go back to bed, says Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the I, I love you and I, uh, I can't live without you. It was a little too much. Yeah, it was a real... A real sudden change. It was a, a very quick change of heart. Because yeah. I... They had chemistry together, but it always felt more like of a sibling energy to me, especially yeah. just given how much they teased each other. Yeah, the banter was never... The teasing was never... It was never uh, flirta- flirtatious. Yes. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was always just like uh, very poking fun at each other. And, yeah. Yeah, no, no edge or real tension to it. And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, she's just throwing herself at him. Yeah. Please, please, take me with you. Let's run away in another city. We can be anyone we want. Yeah, just zero to sixty, real quick. I mean, let's be honest. When you you start a movie like that, you have two characters who are not supposed to be together. Two two people who you don't think uh, that you know, come from different paths of life and all, and all that, you you know that it's going to end up in, uh, in a, a love relationship, right? Yes, when a man and woman in the beginning of a movie look at each other and go, oh, I could never like you. Yeah, but it's just that trope. I know we only have so much time in a movie. You only have, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, three maybe at the most. But... I don't know. I just I don't like the I don't, I don't like to see that in a movie like the oh I fell in love so quickly with you I fell you know you're you're the one you're no yeah like, I, love takes time I guess they built it up the tiniest little bit by her freaking out when he leaves back at the the awesome uh, hayfield yeah and then him yeah him booking the the room as if they were married he also when she uh gets the car to stop by showing off her gam he it cuts to his face and he has like a disapproving look real quick Mm. he doesn't not appropriate but yeah it's nowhere near enough to justify this explosion of emotion yeah he says that she better go back to bed and ellie apologizes and goes back to bed on her side uh, sometime later, Ellie has fallen asleep, but Peter is still awake and asks if she really meant what she said. Uh, there's no response. And then he peeks over the blanket uh, to see that she's asleep and heads out of the cabin. He heads to the office of his editor and after a protracted argument, gets the editor to pay him $1,000 for the exclusive story of Ellie Andrews' new husband, Peter Warren. Do you remember, in the meantime, also, he takes the car, 
he, it looks like he goes to a bar and or a restaurant and asks for a typing machine. Yes, he just sits down. a typewriter. Sits down with a typewriter yeah, at, a, at like, a bar. Yeah, bring me a drink. Yep. Because the, it's, it's, he's a regular there and the owner's like, oh, where have you been all this time? And yeah. he says, bring me a drink and uh, tell no one to disturb me for thir- the next 30 minutes. And so he's typing and that's, and that's what he brings to the editor to the, to say, here's your story. Give me $1,000. Yeah. I guess the editor is also in New York. We, yeah. Okay. We're just supposed to assume that. We have no... We didn't know where he was. We have no realistic knowledge of how what the distances that are being traveled here are yeah well yeah we don't we don't know where the editor uh, was but uh, i think it's the movie just assumes that you're going to uh deduce that since they're both on their way to new york yep three hours though is that how far i went good grief they were in uh around philadelphia at that point uh, what, when they stop in the in the night. Hmm. Back at the cabin, uh, the owner's wife wakes up the owner and tells him she knew that they could not trust that new couple that came in with no money. The man is gone. They enter the cabin, uh, wake up Ellie, and kick her out. And Ellie has no idea what's going on. Uh, and they tell her that there's a phone at the sheriff's office a quarter mile down the road if she needs to contact anybody because they're not... They're not getting on the line for any charges here. Mm. Back at the news office, the editor is making preparations to print Peter's story when he gets a call from a reporter telling him that Ellie called her father to come and pick her up. And her father and Wesley are being escorted by the police to get her at this very moment. Peter is on his way back to the cabin, uh, singing the same song as the hitchhiking thief about... uh, how married couple or newlyweds are never hungry. Yeah. I think what the song is about. Uh, when he's passed by several cars being escorted by police motorcycles. They're going super fast and they just cut around him. Cut to Ellie being picked up and then back to Peter who stopped at some uh, tracks while a train goes by. And we get to see he's in a very jovial mood because he's got the money. So he's waving to people who are just sitting on top of the, yeah. the train. And there's a bunch of like, you know... uh bums who are hiking a ride on the train and they wave from the train car they wave. he's almost like doing a close to like a military salute yep. also with his hand the train passes uh and so does the car with ellie in it because they were waiting on the other side of the tracks it's going the opposite direction and peter sees through the window uh ellie leaning on wesley and turns his car around to follow but the cars are too fast and he's out of gas anyway because he hasn't uh I believe when he first left the cabin, there's this quick scene of him haggling with like a gas station attendant to get some more gas for the car so he can make yes. it to New York. He's trying to sell the guy his luggage, but the guy's mm-hmm. like, I already have luggage, but I don't have a hat. <laughs> so that's how, God, remember the days when you could just go to a gas station and, and haggle for your <laughs> gas? Yeah, he's like, to, you know, give me like 25 bucks for it. I'll come back. Uh, I'll come back the, the next day and, and I'll buy it back from you. Yeah. And eventually... Uh, managed to buy his gas with a fancy hat yep he comes to a stop because uh, he's out of gas and, and as a final insult uh, one of the tires deflates uh, we then get a montage of newspapers being printed and headlines about ellie's safe return come and go it's a bunch of like papers being stacked on each other and going yeah. through a, an assembly line uh, and we rejoin peter as he goes back to see his editor and returns the thousand dollars he got for the story 
The editor says, sometimes things don't work out, but it was a nice story, and to come back when he's ready to work, and also when he's sober, I think. They're dancing around the fact that the editor knows exactly what happened, but he doesn't want to shame Peter by just coming out and saying that he knows or yeah it's it's very roundabout like oh you know sometimes things don't work out the way we want to and it's okay just you know keep your chin up we then see one final headline ellen andrews remarries today in lower text beneath the announcement groom to land at wedding in auto gyro Then we're back with Ellie as her father comes to talk with her before the ceremony. She's at her father's mansion, I think, in this this huge room in her wedding dress, which is looks satin. Satin, silk. Very, very sheer. Yeah. Yeah. Very sheer and reflective. And she's just sitting very forlornly in this big, fancy room. As her father comes in and he tries to make small talk about, he tells you like, I heard Wesley is going to be landing in an auto gyro. And she doesn't respond. He goes, yes, it seemed very silly to me too. (laughs) And then he asks her if she liked the dress and she's just completely apathetic and unwilling to talk. So he knows something is up. He sees that she's not in the mood and he asks her what's wrong. If she's changed her mind, he says, "Uh, it's not too late. She then grabs him and starts sobbing and... Because he correctly guessed that she's fallen in love with someone else. She then tells him about Peter and he says uh, they better call this whole thing off. She declines though because she doesn't want to stir up any more trouble. If she walked out now, they'd all look ridiculous. So she'll just submit herself to a lifetime of misery. Yeah. That's a, that's another thing I didn't like. It's just like, why you're this is not just you like you're also involving another person in this like you're i will grin and bear the next 60 years of my life in order to avoid looking foolish this one day yikes although i think that is a pretty common strategy deployed by people in that time (laughs) judging by the the quality of relationships i saw in my parents generation (laughs) seemed like a pretty common tactic to just, to just stay with a person sh- not to rock the boat? Just grin and bear it. <laughs> it's too late now. Her father asks the name of the man she fell in love with, and he seems to recognize it when she tells him, which makes Ellie grab a letter out of his pocket that's from Peter. I don't know how she connects those dots, because he just gets a, a look like, oh, he recognizes the name, and then she immediately just opens his jacket and takes out... He, no, he touches the... Oh, he, he, tu- he touches the, the letter. Okay. He, like, he's got the... the he has a, opens the jacket with the, his right hand, and then his left hand like starts to pick it up, but then put, he puts it back. Ah, uh, she catches that. All right. Got it. Makes more sense now. She grabs the the letter from him, and it's a letter from Peter asking to see uh, her father about a financial matter concerning his daughter. She assumes it's about the $10,000 reward, and right at that moment, a a maid enters with a bunch of glasses of wine, and Ellie just grabs two and just shotguns them. Oh, they're cocktails. Oh, they're cocktails? Yeah. Even better. Yeah. And uh, tell... They They look like martinis. Yep, just gluck, gluck. The old one-two punch. And she tells her father to go ahead and give the reward to Peter. 
We then see Peter get the call from Ellie's father. He's just sitting in a chair. Uh, looks like he's drunk. There's a bunch of crumpled up newspapers all around mm-hmm. the chair with the headlines about the wedding and the, yeah. the ceremony and all that. And he's smoking a cigarette and he's slouched in the chair. And the phone rings. They have this protected like, no, I don't want to come in to get the reward. And then they go back and forth like that. Very similar to how he had to go back and forth about trying to get Ellie to report her stolen luggage. Yeah. Yeah, there's multiple scenes in this where they just, characters argue for just a little too long, where they just go in a circle and it's like... Yeah, for no reason. Yeah, it's like, come on, we we get it, just move on. And then we jump to uh, Ellie's father sitting down in her office and... uh, In his office. Yeah, in Ellie's father's office and uh, Peter entering to, to talk to him. It turns out Peter just wants to be paid $39.60 to cover the clothes that he had to sell for gas money. He has an itemized list like hat, night clothes, uh, socks. raincoat, yeah, socks. He gets the check, but as her father hands it to Peter, he asks Peter if he loves his daughter. Peter tries to evade the question with snarky comments about how any man who'd love her would be crazy and things like that. You have to get your head examined. Uh, but her father persists, and he finally admits it as he's walking out and slams the door behind him. He's like, yes, I do love her, but I'm a little uh, crazy, so don't think too much into it. And then he slams the door and goes out. Uh, on his way out, he sees Ellie in her wedding dress, and she walks over to him. Get your money, she says. You bet I did. Congratulations. Thanks. Same to you. She invites him to stay, but he declines on the grounds that he has a weak stomach and leaves. Mm. Her father then comes out of the office and tries to tell her about their talk, but she doesn't want to hear it and turns away. We then see Wesley land in the much-mentioned auto gyro. It's just like a little plane with a helicopter rotor yep. on top. It's a we- weird-ass flying machine that could uh, obviously only be handled by the premier aviator of the 1930s, King Wesley himself. And he gets out and he's in full, he's already got his wedding clothes on, top hat, uh, tuxedo, everything. Flying in and immediately fancy. And the wedding begins. Ellie is being walked down the aisle by, by her father, and as they walk, he's still trying to convince her not to go through with this. He tells her she's a sucker to go through with this as they're walking down the aisle. He tells her Peter didn't want the reward and uh, just thinks that she took him for a ride. He loves her, and if she changes her mind, there's a car waiting for her at the back gate. They make it to the altar and uh, they go through the ceremony till they get to the point where they say their I do's. Wesley says I do. The priest then turns to Ellie, who hesitates for a second, and then makes a mad dash for the back gate and jumps <laughs> in the waiting car. I like this scene because she is just she's got a long wedding train and it's just billowing out behind yeah. her in a really cool way as she just books it as fast as she can away from the wedding. Oh, bless her heart, like she her shoes a have high heels, do Ooh, not yeah. look comfortable, and she's running in them. Yeah, she's going full speed. I thought she was just going to jump in and uh, have like part of the dress hanging out of the door because it's <laughs> so long, but she does bunch it all inside before she closes the door and drives off. The crowd is in an uproar. Everyone's screaming and uh, confused. And in the confusion, Wesley walks up to Ellie's father and asks what happened. 
I haven't the slightest idea, is the reply, as he lights a cigar (laughs) and smiles. Cut to her father drunk at his desk. He's got like a whole tray of different types of alcohol, and he's just... Uh, pouring himself stuff from each one of them from the glass shape i would assume uh bourbon or scotch yeah strong stuff liqueurs he gets a call from wesley who uh is calling to accept the hundred thousand dollar uh payoff for his trouble and uh then gets a telegram from peter saying to hurry up with the annulment already because the walls of jericho are coming down wink Mm. wink nudge nudge uh, swipe to an auto park again, and the elderly owners are gossiping about the strange newlyweds that just arrived. They had me bring them a rope and a blanket, says the woman. That's nothing. I had to go get them a trumpet, says the man. Close up of a cabin window, and a toy trumpet sounds, and then the lights go off, and they bone. The end. The blanket comes off. Yep, we hear the trumpet. We hear the trumpet. We see the blanket come off the rope. We do? Yes. I don't remember that. I I promise you we see the blanket uh, come down the... We just see the the ground or the the, the floor of their cabin and then the the blanket falling down. Yep. There was a, a spooky coincidence on this ending because it immediately made me think of the Clue movie. Because that ends with the line, and I'm going to go have sex with my wife. And then when the movie ended, you get, you know, the um, the suggestion for what to watch next. Uh-huh. And it was the Clue movie. Was- <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, ooh, uh-oh. It's reading my brain. Yeah. I don't like this. Uh- Information's getting a little too savvy. Also, at the beginning, if you remember what I said at the beginning, I thought this was going to be a murder mystery. And Clue Clue is is a a murder murder mystery. mystery. (laughs) Yep. What did you think of It Happened One Night? Not at all what I expected. Yeah. Given that I expected a murder mystery. Um, It wasn't a bad movie, but it it also wasn't the best movie I've ever seen. I honestly, I feel like I've already forgotten a lot of it and yeah. i think that this is one of the movies that we'll watch uh, for this podcast that it's one of the ones that I, i'm definitely going to forget very quickly it's already evaporating yeah no, it was an- there's, there's nothing special enough about it it was a nice break yeah from the large scale you know war and uh current global events and uh, large uh, decade-spanning epics. It it was nice to have a break and just have this little very focused story on just these two people, basically. Yeah. But I think it took a real nosedive after he left the cabin because after that, the entire drama of the plot just revolved around the fact that they would not just talk to each other yeah and i don't like it in movies when the entire drama is two people just won't sit down and have a damn conversation with each other and that would fix everything and it it's it just feels padded out because there's there's so many times where either her dad tries to to talk to her and tell him he's like, no mm-hmm. i don't want to hear it or so many times where the dad is trying to get peter to come in to talk to him no i don't want to come in and and listen to that uh no good for nothing and it's just 
just, just, just have a conversation and resolve this. It's so yeah. easy. It's so simple. Just stop it. Yeah, but the fact that they don't drag the movie for another, what, 10, 15 minutes, maybe? Yeah. I think it's only, I think after he leaves, it's like the last 25 minutes, but it feels so much longer yeah. than that because it's just like, come on, we know that they're going to resolve this. Just stop having them be dumb and talk to each other. I do. I was surprised at uh, the turnaround with her dad because he's in the beginning of the movie. He's set up to, you know, com be completely unlikable and controlling, like kidnapping her on a boat and then <laughs> yeah. slapping her. But by the end of the movie, he's he's the one who's most on her side and he's the reason that they get together in the yeah. end. And so insistent about this that he's still trying to uh change her mind as he's walking her down the aisle i loved that scene where they're walking and he's just like talking out of the side of his mouth and like you're an idiot to do this yeah i guess you get the idea finally get, uh, get the idea at the end that he was against her marriage to king wesley because he knew that she wasn't in love yeah he knew it was, she was just doing it because he didn't want her to do it yeah he knew she wasn't in love. He knew that uh, King Wesley was uh, only looking for money. And then he meets with he uh, meets with Peter, and yeah. you know he was ready uh, to make him the to make the check for like the ten thousand yes. dollar reward. And then realizes, oh, this guy only wants thirty nine dollars and sixty cents. Okay. Yeah, he does try to offer him the ten thousand dollar reward in. Uh peter's uh it's a matter of principle yes a matter of principle i don't like <laughs> i don't like being taken for a ride and i don't like being paid for the privilege yeah is his logic yeah and that's why and that's after that he asked him if he loves his daughter and that's why he's insistent about it yeah, yeah. secret mvp of this movie ellie's dad yeah and it wasn't badly written no certainly but it wasn't it wasn't as quick and snappy as Grand Hotel. There was a apparent in doing research for the for the podcast. I saw that um, both Clark Gable and uh, Claudette Colbert were very dissatisfied with the script when they got it, and so they had writers on set to like almost rewrite as they were going hmm. to uh, so. It was a, probably a little bit more like quick-witted than it was at the beginning. but it's, it's all very natural. Yeah. Clark Gable especially. He talks really fast. He does. Yeah. I've seen uh, jokes about this area of movies about how all the men had uh, pants that like went up to their nipples and all talked at, at double speed. Yeah. And we're basically, uh, or not basically, we are definitely starting to see that uh, trope become real. Yeah, uh, we saw that with uh, Yancey already a little bit. You think Simone. he talked fast? I think not necessarily talk fast, but the, the you know the pants and pants. and very eloquent. I guess yeah would be the uh, the word. There's some there's some good moments, but yeah, nothing that stands out very much. I wish the whole thing had just been on the bus because I really like the setting of. It, a bus ride at night in the rain that's a, a nice cozy setting it was so weird sometimes because they especially in that scene in that musical scene on the bus where you uh 
so Ellie is uh, sitting and uh, has she has the window seat, but then the camera is placed at an angle that makes it look like the seat is so far away yeah. from the from the window that you can see a huge gap. So you know that it's not an actual bus. That you know that some of the some of those angles are must not have been shot on an actual bus because it's just not possible. Yeah, it's like how airplanes on movies are like three hundred feet wide. <laughs> yeah. You can play a game of football <laughs> in plane movies. Or in uh, movie planes, excuse me. Yeah, I want. It was a cool. The bus was cool though, because the whole thing shook. Yeah. I wanna. Yes. I'd be interested to see how they constructed that. Like what was it was. It must have been just like some bus frame on top of something that could like just bounce up and down because it. It shook around a lot. Yeah. Speaking of that, you know when you're. Like in a car or in a bus or a train or anything, and uh, most often they just have like images in the background that go that scroll past uh, yeah scroll past that uh, that go in the so that you can see the direction that the the bus is going or mm-hmm. that the vehicle is going there's a very quick there's a very quick uh, moment where the bus is supposed to be going so forward which i don't know was supposed to be from from right from right to left on the screen but the image is going the other way so it looks like they're driving backwards <laughs> Whoops. it's very quick like it's less than 10 seconds yep shit to your studio <laughs> we're we're making this thing uh on a shoestring budget with uh, duct tape and super glue yeah <laughs> we don't we don't have time for reshoots <laughs> Yeah, that's most likely, you know, it was, like I said, it's less than 10 seconds, so I don't see... Yep, no one will notice. There'll be no too... reason to, to reshoot it or to replace it. They'll be too distracted with the games. Yeah, it, it's our first movie that had a happy ending. It did. It only took seven movies before we had one that didn't <laughs> end in complete tragedy. Yeah. So that was nice. Well, I'll say, like, arguably Wings sort of has... Only a half tragedy there. Only half tragedy since, you know, the couple um, gets reunited at the end. This was our first 100%... 100% happy ending. Happy ending. Yeah. Yeah, it was, like I said, not a bad movie. Not not terrible. Just um, very forgettable, I think. Yeah. Like, why... One of the ones where I always have a some sort of idea of like the others we've watched why they won, but I don't I don't know why this one won. There's no big crowd yeah, scene. I'm not sure. There's music, but sure. there's no big crowd. Yeah. Maybe Clark Gable was just a big enough draw at that point. He, yeah, he was already under contract at MGM, so he was already a he was already a, a figure. Yeah. Yeah, the acting is definitely the the highlight. Yeah. They're both really good actors. And he's, he had a character. There is attention to detail there with like the recurring uh, personalities of him, you know, explaining things to her and how he uh, continually gets out of situations by pretending to be something he's not, like pretending to be the gangster or pretending to be an abusive husband or so. There is attention to detail, which I appreciate. It's just, it's, it's just not enough. Yeah. Then again, you know, it's this was just like the seventh year of the Academy Awards. Yeah. So I don't know. Especially coming off 
cavalcade with ghost horses and <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt's face in the sand and the Titanic and the Queen's funeral. This this just feels so mundane and bland by comparison. Yeah, there's just uh, it also feels like the I don't I don't think I've seen any of the the other movies that were um nominated along with it for the best picture uh, that year or any of the ones that were nominated in in the years that we've already watched but it feels like this is the real first like love story almost modern love story it's certainly the first one where the entire focus has been the love story yes and (laughs) what a what what a half big love story Mm. I mean, it's fun watching them interact with each other. They inter- they had really good banter. Yeah, yeah, they interact well. They just don't interact in a romantic way. Yeah, there's no longing looks or or tension. It's just, he seems fed up with her most of the time. There's a lot of like build up from the beginning, like where is she. There's a quick moment at the beginning where she puts her suitcase up, and then she stumbles and falls on his lap. Yeah. And what does he say? Is it something about her bringing her folks yeah, around next, next time? time? Next time, bring your folks. Yeah. yeah <laughs> is, his, is his quip. Yeah. The, you know, him putting his hand uh, on the on the seat so that she might uh, sit on it. The the whole, you know, pretending to be a, a married couple and all that. So yep. there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of like build up, but not. He's clever. He's just not as clever yeah. as the movie thinks he is. Yeah. But he's so handsome. Although he has like a very... And the way he dresses, the way he, uh, he speaks also seems very um, sophisticated to me. He's... Like way more sophisticated than you would expect from somebody from a, a newspaper reporter who doesn't have any money he is incredibly quick on his feet yes yeah yeah almost more he sometimes at least to me feels more sophisticated and i don't know what a what a good word is that i'm looking for um sophisticated and almost well traveled street smart yeah street smart yeah she's definitely uh the more naive of the two and it's framed as like he needs to look after her because she's not competent enough to make it to new york on her own yeah 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 part of that that i didn't like the whole him being in charge framing Mm. a little icky Lil Yucky. Yeah, if it was, you know, modern days, I definitely wouldn't like it. I understand because it's of the... The lady? It's, I understand because it's uh, just conforms to, like, gender norms of the of the time. But... Yeah, the lady just wants some chocolate. Let her have some yeah. chocolate. Jesus. Give her some chocolate. Yeah. Don't yell at the snack man about it. Christ. <laughs> Rude. Yeah. 1930s masculinity where, you know... You assert your dominance by yelling at everyone. <laughs> Scram, I say. Quit balling. <laughs> and like I said, there were some like really good shots. There yeah. Were some like really good frames. Good moody lighting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The stars of this film were the the acting performances and the lighting. The smoke drifting by a, a, a moonlit window as rain. 
That was beautiful. Yeah. It was really nice. That's what I will remember most. The walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho. Where's it going on your list? So, my current ranking, I still have Wings as number one. Um, number two, All Quiet on the Western Front. Number three, Cavalcade. I put It Happened One Night at number four. Just because it's one of those movie uh, those movies that has an actual consistent plot a plot that runs out of steam three fourths of the way it runs out of it runs out of steam but it's still it's very consistent and and it was really entertaining so i it's yeah it's almost yeah midpoint yeah exactly midpoint on my list so far and then uh, number five, uh, Broadway Melody. Six, Grand Hotel. And seven, Cimarron. Yeah, the last quarter of, of this movie is a hard nosedive. Yeah. I was surprised when I went back and rewatched it for the synopsis that it was only 25 minutes. I was like, God, it felt, it felt so, so much longer, longer than that because it was just so padded out and them just being dumb and not mm-hmm. talking to each other. It's yeah. like the the solution to this problem is obvious. Just do it. Just Just do it. What about you? Where are you going to put it on your list? My current rankings are Grand Hotel, number one. Number two is Cavalcade. Number three is Wings. Number four, All Quiet on the Western Front. And then dropped a 90 for Broadway Melody and 91 for Cimarron. It's hard because All Quiet on the Western Front is another one of those that is just evaporated out of my brain. Mm. So it's it's like the battle of two movies that don't exist. No, but I feel like I, I had for all quiet on the Western Front. I it was a lot more philosophical. I, yes. I think I feel like I thought about it for a lot longer. This certain after watching it. This certainly feels like a movie that is just made to be a, a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Like all the other ones we've watched have been trying to say something or had some sort of at least theme, and you know. And this is just love story. There yep. you go. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. There's. There's nothing. There's nothing to chew on. Yep. There's no nothing deeper to dig into. Yeah, you've convinced me. It'll go beneath all quiet on the Western Front, which will put it currently as my number five. So my official rankings so far are number one, Grand Hotel. Number two, Cavalcade. Number three, Wings. Number four, All Quiet on the Western Front. Number five, It Happened One Night, or as it should be called, Night Bus. <laughs> uh, number 90, Broadway Melody, and 91, Cimarron. Another one in the books. Yeah. And our next movie, we will be seeing Clark Gable again, back to back. Mutiny on the Bounty. We're going to see... Really? I'm, I'm assuming the bounty, that's where mutinies happen on ships. You never. Yeah, that's true. You don't ever hear mutinies happening on any. You never hear of a train <laughs> mutiny. And we'll see Clark Gable again before the end of, of this decade because he's going to be our uh, Red Butler in Gone with the Wind, 1939. Yep. So at least three movies. Well, he was the most. Uh, he was the highest earning leading man for like 30 years in Hollywood. So yeah, we're going to start getting you know, more recurring 
actors and directors like kind of like I said at the beginning Frank uh, Capra had a another best picture in 1938 so. yeah we're gonna be singing uh Kringleine again yeah although it looks like he has no mustache yeah in the next one yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to handle his bare lip <laughs> but time will tell anything else no I think that's it for this one yeah oh thanks everybody for watching see you next week and for listening to us yeah hopefully you'll hopefully you get excited and watch some of the movies yeah maybe not this one i'll just skip to the part where they're in the the bed and go ooh, cool shadows and, and, <laughs> and then turn it off you won't miss much yeah bye everybody bye bye Okay, that's it, that's it, that's it.